Let's pray. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was thinking back this last week of the number of years that I was a high school basketball coach. And while I didn't really particularly pay much attention to the cheerleaders, you know, when you are coaching, they're just kind of noise in the background. But I've been to enough basketball games where I've heard a cheer that I suppose many of you are somewhat familiar with. It goes this way. We have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? Evidently, you don't. Okay. Uh, you know, and of course, the other crowd would chant that same thing back. But I'm going to change that a little bit this morning. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Okay. Well, you've all should have said, well, you should have all responded the same. We've just gone back and forth for a while. That's why I wore my I love Jesus tie today. I love Jesus. I asked you at the beginning of the service, anybody ever had their love rejected? You remember that first time you ever fell in what you called love? <laughs> really, with her. Okay. And then did you ever have a time when that person basically said, not interested anymore, and your love was rejected? And maybe some of you can still recall the pain associated with rejected love, when somebody just no longer cared for you the way you hoped and prayed they would care for you. Now, some of you may have experienced that, for all I know, any number of times. And I tell you, it hurts whether you are 12 or 22 or 42 or 62 or 82 or 92 or 102. But in this passage that Nancy shared with us this morning, we're going to see how Jesus' love, a love that's greater than anything you and I know, is rejected. He is the rejected lover. And I want to start by first kind of reviewing the context and the setting of this scripture reading that was just shared with you. Here in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is in the process of heading to Jerusalem. There comes a time in his ministry when it said he set his face towards Jerusalem, and from there he headed to what was going to ultimately lead to his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. As he's going, what's happening is the opposition to Jesus is growing greater and more vocal all the time. The common people loved Jesus dearly, but the religious crowd hated Jesus because far too often he exposed their hypocrisy. And so in some of the words that you heard Nancy read to you before when it said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have wanted to do this, you can almost get an idea, a sense of the depth of his love and the compassion he had for his people. But that's the same kind of love that he has for every last one of us, in fact, everybody in the world today. I want to talk about three different kinds of Jesus' love today. Here's the very first one, to tell you that Jesus is a fearless lover. Now, the Pharisees here warned Jesus that Herod was out to kill him. 
It was a suggestion that Jesus better get out of town before sundown. Now, while he was not necessarily a friend to all the Pharisees, this could have been looked at as a scare tactic, or because we know Jesus actually had a few friendly Pharisee friends, it could have just been a suggestion, Jesus, the heat is on, maybe you ought to just disappear for a while. That's because the king, actually the governor, Herod, Herod Antipas, a very powerful governor, had the authority to kill or execute anybody he desired. In fact, just a few months earlier, he had just beheaded the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, at the request of a rather cunning stepdaughter of his, who, by the way, was also his niece. I'll leave you to figure out how that happened. But Herod, interestingly, had nightmares. And Herod's nightmares involved believing that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Now, when they said, Herod is out after you, Jesus' reply to it, I think, is priceless. He actually makes a joke of Herod. He says, you tell that fox. You didn't think that was funny? I mean, that's a, that's a great example of Hebrew humor, but evidently in East Texas, you all don't understand Hebrew humor. But, but what, what's going on here? is that Jesus was kind of making a cartoon caricature of Herod. I mean, if there had been political cartoons in that day, Herod would have looked like some sneaky, cunning, predatory animal. And if you know anything about Herod, he was probably more animal-like in his passions than human. Now, this response reveals Jesus' courage. Now, Jesus, Herod is out to kill you. Nah, tell the old fox, you know, mind his own business. He is a fearless lover. He's going to keep on doing what he's doing, and Herod is not going to slow him down. In verse 32, he said, I will reach my goal. I will accomplish what has been assigned to me. My goal is to redeem sinful mankind. And he knew that he was going to have to die a sacrificial death on the cross in order that forgiveness could be won for everyone. So what I'm saying is nothing could detour him from the destination of the cross. He was not afraid of Herod. Why? Because he knew that he already had a date with death and that Herod wouldn't have anything to do with it. Now, Jesus did not die some martyr's death as if somebody just grabbed him and killed him, you know, without any say. We know that Jesus willingly laid down his life. In verse 32, he said, or in, in John 10, he says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. A couple of years ago, I was uh, putting together a a week-long study of the book of Revelation uh, for the inmate pastors down at Louisiana State Prison in Angola. And I can remember coming across a verse in the book of Revelation that kind of stunned me momentarily. And it's a phrase that just fascinates me to this day. It's from Revelation 13:8, where that says, Jesus was the Lamb of God, and get this, slain from the foundation of the earth. Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth. Now, that just means the cross was not some sort of an afterthought. Jesus coming to suffer, to die, to rise again for you was not some plan B. It was not a contingency plan. This was from the foundations of the earth. But see, in a few days, as we're marching ever closer to 
Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Jesus is going to be carrying a literal cross from Herod's or from Pilate's fort to a hill outside of Jerusalem. But in effect, Jesus was already carrying that cross in his heart and his mind. See, at the beginning of his ministry, he already knew that he would die and he would rise again. In fact, one time he said, tear down the temple, tear down this temple, referring to himself, and in three days I will raise it up again. Now, i got to tell you, that's a fearless lover. Now, think about you and me for a moment. Human nature always wants to detour from the difficult. You know, we see something ahead that looks hard. You know, we're not quite like Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi said, when the going gets tough, what? Tough get going. Many of us are, when the going gets tough, we bail out. We don't want anything to do with it. You know, we're the kind of people who said, yeah, we've got to get out of that bad marriage. We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to submit to that difficult boss. I'm not going to put up with this. But, friends, there is a cross for everyone to carry who is following Jesus, and we need to be fearless in carrying it. Now, for each point up here, I've got a personal application, and you see the personal application here. When I belong to God, I don't need to fear any fox. Now, Jesus said, you go tell that fox. And on the surface, it seems as if he's talking about Herod as being some sly old fox that he was laughing at. But I think on a slightly different level, Jesus was also laughing at the fox of death. The death that Herod had the power to inflict. And Jesus, if you will, laughed in the face of death. See, when you're carrying a cross, you've already died to yourself. You can't scare a dead man. When you're carrying a cross, literally, that's a liberating experience. You don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything, and you can laugh at any threat. Let me give you an example from history. Back in the 1950s, the Ku Klux Klan staged an annual march down Auburn Street in Atlanta, Georgia. It's the section of Atlanta where most of the black people lived. And the purpose of that march, as you can well imagine, was to scare uh, and put fear into the hearts of those black folks. And for years, it did. They either hid in their houses or they fled town uh, the day of the march. They were afraid or humiliated by this display of hatred that was based solely on the color of one's skin. But one year... The Sunday before the march, one pastor was bold enough to stand up and preach on the text from from John that says, Perfect love casts out fear. And he challenged his congregation to show that they were not afraid of the Klan marchers. He told them not to return the hatred. He said, I don't want you to be violent. I just want you to be there and show them that you are not afraid. So on the day of the march, instead of an ugly confrontation, they just decided to stand along the parade route and watch. And when the Klan started marching by in their robes and hoods, the black people who lined the streets of Auburn Avenue started laughing at them. Instead of being afraid, they were literally fall down, rolling on the sidewalks in laughter at such a silly sight. Guess what? That was the last year the Klan marched down Auburn Avenue. You ever hear of that section of Scripture called the Proverbs 31 woman? Only Roberta. Okay. 
Then I'm going to talk to Roberta. And I know other people know it, too. The, the, the Proverbs 31 one. Read it sometimes. Proverbs 31. It's supposed to, they said this is the description of a, a godly woman. Well, if you read that, Proverbs 31, there's a part in there that I think, uh, it's, I really love the comment. It says the Proverbs 31, that a godly woman is able to laugh at the days to come. Laugh at the days to come. See, when you're carrying the cross, you can face any threat of the future, and guess what? You can laugh at it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus made a joke about Herod. That's what the people on Auburn Avenue did. They just laughed at the problem. Now, let me ask you, what are you afraid of today? I can guarantee that some of you right now are afraid of something. You know, it it may not be a real big thing. It may be a whopping thing. I don't know. What are you afraid of? Dying? You afraid of financial ruin? Afraid you won't be able to find all the calves when they drop, Tommy? I don't don't know what your fear is. Afraid of a terrorist attack? Worried about all those little drones that seem to be flying all over our country? Are you worried about some disease you got? You know, when when you truly belong to God, guess what? There's nothing in life that can rob you of your joy. I mean, I sometimes refer to some people as joy suckers. You know what a joy sucker is. They suck the joy out of you from 100 yards. That's just, that's just what, who they are. Guess what? Try it. No, I got the joy of Jesus. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know that song, don't you, Mary Claire? Sing it with me. No, you're not going to do that. But see, if you get the joy of Jesus down your heart, nobody's going to be able to snatch it out of there. And I say that because there are some people that go through life and all they do is they whine and they complain and they moan and they groan that life just isn't fair. Well, friends, guess what? This life is not fair. But this life is not all there is. Now, I want you just to I'm going to suggest that you turn to the person sitting next to you and say, this life isn't fair. Do that. Turn to the person next to you and say, this life isn't fair. But now I want you to turn to them and I want you to say, but God is good all the time. And then tell them this, so build a bridge and get over it. And one more thing, tell them and get under the cross. That's not bad advice. This life isn't fair, but God is good all the time. Or some people say then all the time God is good. Build a bridge, get over it, get under the cross. I remember a pastor, I think at our kids' church one time, was talking about what kind of man or woman you should look for to marry. And and I remember he, he used he had uh, umbrellas out on the platform. And he said, every girl ought to be looking for an umbrella fella. You know what an umbrella fella is? That's somebody who's willing to stand under the will of God. That's pretty good advice. But every guy should be looking for a parasol princess. Somebody who is also willing to stand under the will of God. I mean, that's kind of what this whole text is talking about here. 
get under the cross. Get under the will of God. Start living under the cross where you can laugh at things that probably scare other people. I mean, Jesus is a fearless lover. And here's the second thing. He is also a protective lover. Now, I'll get to these pictures here in a moment. This passage probably ought to be called the animal planet passage because Jesus makes reference here to two different animals. He compared Herod and death to a fox, and then he compared himself to a mother hen. And I'm going to go back to verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Go back one slide. You jumped ahead of me. There we go. Now, there are many pictures in the Bible that describe God's character. He is sometimes called a rock. He is sometimes called the door. Sometimes he's called the light. Sometimes he's called the water. And all of those describe him to some degree. You get a little insight into what he's like. But I I don't know, have you ever thought it was unusual? Have you ever thought of God as a mama hen? Now, halfway down the Mount of Olives, that's where we come to these pictures. Halfway down the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem in Israel, there is a small chapel. That's the picture to your left. It's built by the Franciscan order called Dominus Flavit. It's Latin for the Lord wept. This is called the Chapel of Tears, and the building itself is kind of built in a teardrop design. Inside that building... There is a window that overlooks Jerusalem where the Muslim Dome of the Rock is. You want to know where the Dome of the Rock is? You see that big gold dome there? And I find this really fascinating because the cross of Jesus Christ is still hovering over the city of Jerusalem. This is the place where scholars say that Jesus stopped to cry over the city of Jerusalem. We're going to come to that in a few weeks on Palm Sunday because we got a parade coming on Palm Sunday, remember? Hallelujah, hallelujah. But it also says Jesus stopped and he cried. This is where a lot of people say he did this. Now, next picture. Inside this chapel is a mosaic and it captures this image. You can see a hen here with a halo. (laughs) So you can, you can guess this is not just some holy chicken, that this is actually, you know, God describing himself as if you see a hen with her wings outstretched and you see these little chicks underneath. Now, there's a Latin inscription all the way around it, and the inscription around it is the Bible passage. And you can probably, you can't really tell, but the last few words over on this side are in red. They're in red. But it's that passage from verse 34. And the last words in red are these, but you were not willing. You were not willing. It's as if Jesus is still standing over Jerusalem with his arms outstretched, and the Jews and the Palestinians are totally unwilling to acknowledge his love. And I suggest to you that Jerusalem will probably never have peace until they actually acknowledge the Prince of Peace. Now, when I grew up, my grandparents had chickens in the backyard. We had a chicken coop. And while I never really raised them, I'm somewhat familiar with them. Maybe some of you are, too. Uh, You may know more about chickens than I do. But we, we do learn something about God from looking at a mother hen. 
And maybe one of the greatest allegories ever written is a book called Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. Maybe some of you read this. And in this book, it's a story about a guy whose name is Christian. And in part of his journey, he learns a lesson from a chicken. If you go to the next slide, you can see some of these lessons. I put them up there for you. The one is that a hen constantly calls her chicks. Now, I've been around chickens often enough, and I've heard them clucking. But I thought they were just clucking just to be clucking. And my grandma would probably tell me I was a dumb cluck for believing that. But Bunyan says that a chicken has a distinctive cluck and clucks constantly so the little chicks can find her. Her chicks recognize her clucking, if you will. Now, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is constantly not clucking, but he's calling us. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, if you're wise, you will listen to the cluck of Jesus. You will listen to the call of Jesus. It also says a hen calls them to feed. Now, I think probably along with chickens, and I think this is also true of cattle to a degree, but in almost every farmyard, there is a clearly established pecking order as to who eats first. Am I right on that, Tommy, with cattle? Yeah. But the thing about chickens is the most dominant chicken always gets the first food. And as you can imagine, little chicks are pretty far down the pecking order. Sorry, Mary Claire. But you know something? A good mother hen will find the food, and then she will call her chicks and allow them to eat before she herself eats. Now, just think about that. In the same way, what do you know about, what do you know? Jesus is constantly calling us to himself, constantly calling us to his word. The Bible says that the word is like what? Milk. It says it's like meat. And it even says it's like honey. He says, here, I'm going to give you this. Feed on this every day. It also says that a hen shelters them from harm. Now, I, I can remember watching this because, you know, if you've got chickens out back, every once in a while you will see a chicken hawk. You'll see that chicken hawk circle that yard. And if a chicken hawk flies anywhere close to that yard, the hen begins to squawk pretty violently, calls her chickens to her, her little chicks, and then puts them under her wings. And if that chicken hawk actually comes down, and I've seen this one time in my life where the hawk actually landed in the yard, that chicken really expanded its wings. It made itself like a pretty big chicken. Well, evidently, I don't know much about hawk mentality, but uh, I think he looked at Mama Chicken and said, that's too big to get out of the yard, and he left. But just think about the courage it took of that chicken in the face of that hawk to protect her little ones. I mean, they're just great lessons there, too. Jesus makes us, uh, made a way to shelter us from eternal judgment. And guess what? He died in the process. I mean, there's a great promise in Psalm 91. The Bible says, He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. Now, that doesn't mean that God literally has feathers and, and is a chicken. Uh, the point is that God wants to shelter you and protect you. Well, that leads us here to our personal application. The only safe place in this entire universe is where? Under God's love. Now, Jesus weeps. Why? 
because the Jews would not seek shelter under his love. Let me ask you, any of you here not hiding under the wings of God's love today? I mean, smart chickens hang close to the mother because there's a lot of danger outside the chicken yard. There are some of you that kind of get in the chicken yard on Sunday, but you wander away for a while. You wander away during the week from the protection and the love of God. But guess what? God still loves you. It's just that some of you may refuse to be constantly under his care. You know, the book of Jude, right ahead of Revelation, has only got one chapter. In verse 21, it says, Stay right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms opened and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. See, what I'm telling you, friends, is you can't make God stop loving you. In fact, it's true that God cannot love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. His love is absolutely unconditional. It's not like human love. This verse from Jude kind of challenges you to stay in the zone of blessing. You know, when you're driving along, you come to a school zone, you know you should slow down. But then it'll probably have a sign that says leaving school zone and you kind of speed up a little bit. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would post a sign like that on life's highway? Warning, you are now leaving the zone of God's blessing. You are leaving the circle of God's love. In a few weeks, we're going to get to Luke 15. And Mark Eastman, our head elder, is going to share with you a message that day about the prodigal son. And that prodigal son really got out of the zone. And when he got out of the zone, this isn't in the sermon, so I'm not stealing anything from you, Mark. When he got out of the zone, he lost the blessings that the father wanted to give him. I'll tell you that any time you disobey, any time you rebel against God, he doesn't stop loving you. I mean, the father didn't stop loving the prodigal, but you get out of the zone and you miss out on the blessings. Now, my grandparents who raised me loved me. I'm positive of that. But there were times as a teenager when I rebelled and I got out of the zone. And when I was out of the zone, they couldn't bless me the way they wanted to bless me. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got out of the zone. You got out of the zone in your marriage. You got out of the zone in your house. You got out of the zone in your work. You got out of the zone in the church. And then you sit there and go, why isn't God blessing me? Get back in the zone. Get back under the wings. This verse, it says, stay right in the center, Jude 1. Stay right in the center. I love looking back up to see what some of these words mean. The word for stay is the Greek word tareo, which is used of a prisoner who is locked in prison. So it's not just get under the zone, it's get locked in the zone. I was watching basketball the other day, I still love it. But you know, this guy yesterday, I saw him score 46 points. And the announcer said, he's in the zone. (laughs) No kidding. He was locked in. In. Now, some of you, i got to tell you, in all honesty, God loves you, but you've got the habit of leaving the shelter of the protective wings of God. And I'm just inviting you today to say, look, i got to get back under there, get in the zone, and I want to stay in the zone. That leads us to the third thing, Jesus, a rejected lover. Verse 34 contains five of the saddest words that you'll ever hear. 
they were on that mosaic before. Those five saddest words are what? But you were not willing. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And if a person lives their life rejecting the love of God, they will spend eternity in hell. But I suspect that Jesus would still want to say something to the person who ends up in hell. I could almost picture Jesus saying, friend, I, I loved you. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to shelter you like a hen protects her chicks. But you were not willing. See, now Jesus was sent primarily to redeem Israel. So I can understand why Jesus' heart was so broken because the Jews rejected him. In fact, John 1 says, He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And then he even says something in verse 35 that has kind of a prophetic implication of the country of Israel, as I think about it. Is that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't think our Lord is true with the country of Israel. I honestly don't. I mean, just think with me for a moment. Don't you think it's strange that a nation that was reborn in 1948, a nation that is smaller than the state of Vermont, with a population smaller than that of the Dallas Metroplex, is in the news every day? I think it's because Israel is going to somehow play some role in the end of times. Basically, what's happened is Israel has rejected Jesus as if they were blinded to the truth of Jesus. And to this day, still most Israelites, people living in Israel, are blind to the truth about who Jesus is. Now, you and I, from the time of Jesus, have been living in what we might call the age of grace. In this age of grace, the Bible talks about is when the gospel is being preached more and more to the Gentiles. I mean, two of the fastest growing places today of Christianity, not in the United States, but in Korea and in Africa, growing like crazy. Paul writes in Romans 11, Israel has experienced a hardening of the heart until a full number of Gentiles has come in. That's kind of interesting. That word hardening means they put scales over their eyes so they can't see or they can't recognize Jesus. But one day that's going to change. On that last day when God gathers together the sheep and the ghosts, guess what? The scales are going to fall off of some eyes. And they're going to suddenly see Jesus for who he really is and who he was. And they will cry and they will weep because they were not willing. Well, here's the personal application. The result of rejecting Jesus is desolation. I don't know, if you were ever if you were rejected by your first love, you know what you got? You got a broken heart. Okay? You got a broken heart. The consequences of rejecting Jesus' love is a whole lot more severe. Jesus said, Your house is left to you desolate. And when he said house, he was speaking both of this beautiful temple that they they worshipped and also about their national heritage. I mean, they called themselves the house of David. And Jesus was saying that their family background, as well as their beautiful temple, was going to be made desolate. And 40 years after Jesus said that, guess what? Here comes the Roman general Titus, and he totally destroys Jerusalem, and he tears down their beautiful temple, 
because they rejected God's offer of love, and Israel passed out of existence until 65 years ago. And guess what? The Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock you saw before, is still desolate for the Jews. But, you know, that's not just true for them. Any person who rejects Jesus' love will also experience the same thing, spiritual desolation. And when I think of the word desolate or desolation, I'm thinking of a dry, barren desert where there's no shade, no water. In my life in the ministry, I have met all kinds of people who experience spiritual desolation. No springs of living water bubbling up in their life. No fruit being shown in their lives. No joy, no peace. Kind of barrenness and desolation. And the most amazing thing Jesus says in this Bible passage is, guess what? You had the right to choose. In the very first church I pastored, there was... I always think of this person. It was one of the most misnamed people I've ever known in my life. Her name was Joy. An absolute desolation of joy. One of the most sour, bitter people you would ever want to meet. Really hard to get through. Really didn't care what Jesus had to say. Didn't care what the Bible had to say. Was very self-centered and was very sure of what she wanted You know, what she wanted was what everybody else should want. And I don't remember how many years ago it was. We happened to be back there for somebody's anniversary. And this woman came up to me and she says, Hi, do you remember me? And I said, Nope. (laughs) She said, I'm Joy. (laughs) Joy? Joy Harris? Yes! (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Long story short, got the love of Jesus in my life. And things changed. See, she had within her the power to choose. She could remain joyless, or she could be joyful. See, the last four words in verse 34, so powerful. I will love you and shelter you like a mother hen protects her chicks if you are willing. When you choose to change the direction of your life, that's called repentance. And the question I would just ask simply, have you ever repented and actually accepted God's love? You know, when the fire comes raging through the farmyard, I remember seeing this one time. Fire broke out in the farm, burned down the chicken coop. Went right through the farmyard. Well, what happened was, as I learned, the hen gathered all of the chickens under her wings, and when the fire was all over, you could walk to that farmyard and you would find a rather moving sight of a dead hen, charred and blackened because of the smoke and the fire. But underneath that dead hen were chicks still living. That mother hen had literally laid down her life to save her children. Now, I want you to think of Jesus for a moment. Think of Jesus. Think of that fire that was sweeping through that farmyard known as Israel. 
Think of that fire that's sweeping through our country or through your life or through your family. And then imagine Jesus saying, yes, I'm going to Jerusalem. And that's what I want, wanted to do for all of you. I wanted to take the fire on myself. I want to take the fire of Herod. I want to take the fire of Rome. I want to take on the fire of wickedness. I want to take on the fire of sin. But are you going to be ready for me to do that? Or will you just say, sorry, Jesus, I think I can do it on my own. See, today, friends, Jesus just invites all of us to run under his wings. To run under his wings for safety and warmth, because if you choose not to receive his offer of love, then he remains Jesus, the rejected lover. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Let's pray. Lord, we don't always understand what you're up to. We don't always understand why you went to die in that way. But we pray for strength to follow wherever you go and to be sheltered under your wings from all of the evil that may come. In Jesus' precious name, amen.